0: Good morning, everybody. I want to thank you. I, I had my friend Jeff here, and I think you were blessed by Jeff. He's he's a good guy, great preacher. Um, but I also think Jeff was blessed by you, which is really cool. What a gift to him. So uh, thank you for being hospitable to him. Uh, we're, we're working our way through First Corinthians. Corinthians. We're, we're nearing the end. We will wrap this up about midway through August. So we're we're nearing the end, but we're in 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to talk about love. Um, actually, I, was thinking, I think I've preached on this three times since I've been across Crossview, so I love this passage. Uh, but I want to start by asking you to think about misunderstanding. I'm going to give you a silly example to think through. i got actually two little mini examples. One of my most memorable misunderstandings, I had to be about six, seven, or eight years old because the song Shout by Tears for Fears, was on the radio. Some of you know that song, some of you would know it if you heard it, and some of you weren't born yet. I don't know if you know it or not, but Tears for Fears, there's a song, came out in 1985, Shout, the chorus goes like this, shout, shout, let it all out, these are the things I can do without, come on, I'm talking to you. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you know what I'm talking about. A little head, A few head nods for me on shout. Well, when I was about six, seven, or eight, this song was on the radio, and I didn't understand what they were saying. And my ears heard the word "Shar." Now, I didn't know what Char meant. I knew there was a share, so I just assumed it was a woman's name. These tears for this band was singing about a woman, Char, and encouraging her to let it all out. So we're riding in the car one day, my middle sister six years older than me. She's in high school, and I, we sing in our, we're awful singers, but we sing in the car. And I am belting from the top of my lungs, char, char, let it all out. And my sister's like, what did, what did you just say? Oh my goodness, little brother, that is not what they're saying. And she's, I mean, Jay knows the story my son because my sister loves to retell that story, but apparently it runs in the family. Jay, you know, is 11 years old, but probably when he was about 7 or 8, he was in the car with my wife, Kamey, and the song, I know you know this song, I Have the Tiger. I love this. This is awesome. (laughs) So, So there's a line in I Have the Tiger that goes, the last known survivor stalks his prey in the night. Makes sense, I Have the Tiger. Jay is belting this song out in the car one day with Kamey and sings at the top of his lungs... The last known survivor stacks his bread to the right. Awesome. I'm sure you're (laughs) that one makes me laugh too. And now when I hear the song, it's like, oh yeah, I see it, Jay. Stacks his bread to the right. All right. Misunderstandings. Well, I don't think, and if you've been around Crossview for long, we talk a lot about love. Because I don't think there's anything more important in the world than love, as we'll see today, but I also don't think there's anything we misunderstand. More than love. And there are major implications for misunderstanding love. Let me just remind you of its centrality in the New Testament. Jesus himself said that there are two commandments that are the most important love God and then love others. James, the brother of Jesus, says love is the royal law. John tells us God is love. Peter will write that love covers a multitude of sins. Amen and hallelujah. And as we'll read this morning, Paul says that love is the greatest of all. So if you're newer to Crossview or, you know, it's been a while, I want to remind you we aim at love. I believe, it's what we train in in our discipleship pathway formed. I believe if we aim at love, we'll get everything else. You can aim at a lot of other things that are good, but you won't necessarily get love. (laughs) So we set our compass. Our compass setting is on love. We aim at love. Now, there's a variety of reasons why we misunderstand love. Some of us, unfortunately, grew up in a very broken home, and we lacked it. There was a love deficit in our household. I do a fair amount of premarital counseling now, and the, the first thing I do, believe it or not, premarital counseling, the first thing I do is walk through the grace and truth matrix that I teach and formed so that we can provide a definition and language for love. But the next thing I do is ask about the family of origin, because our family of origin shapes the way we give love, the way we receive love, and the way we understand love. So you got to do a little bit, you got to be self-aware, we talk about that often. Some of you and as a pastor I've learned this some of you were maybe at a different church growing up and maybe their aim, maybe their target was just a little off <laughs> and they maybe they taught you some wrong things about love and you're even in a process of unlearning some of those things I think that often happens on the spiritual journey There's more things I could say about why we misunderstand love but the last one I'll say is just and you know this, we could, we, could send, we could spend hours talking about this one, but our culture enjoys talking about love, right? Our culture likes to use the word love, but it works from a shadow definition of the real thing. There's some leftover heritage of love in our culture, but, but it's been diminished and shrunk. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what happens when you shrink the beauty of the love of Jesus Our culture enjoys talking about love, but it rarely operates in love. It may use words, but it rarely actually does the way of love. I submit to you that our culture tends to traffic more in fear and grasping for power than self-sacrificial Jesus love. So we're confused, because that's the world we live in, that's the waters we swim in, and, and there's all these competing ways that people use the word love, and And quite honestly, the Jesus way of love is really hard. (laughs) It's pretty demanding, even as we'll talk about this morning. So we find ourselves misunderstanding love. Well, we're going to read 1 Corinthians 13. It should be a relatively familiar passage, but Paul is going to tell us that there is nothing more important in life than learning to love and be loved. And again, we're not talking about the soft, sentimental kind, but the strong, spirit-transforming kind of love. Now, the primary context is, if, and if you've been with us, you know, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're talking about the spiritual gifts and the way they aren't being used as an expression of love, and so Paul's going to root the heart of his argument here, but we'll even come back to it next week in chapter 14, so we'll talk more about this, but, but Paul is dealing with helping the church get along with one another and live in harmony and because I've taught on this a few times, I'm going to give you a, a slightly different outline than I've done in the past. But just, if it's your first time, maybe it's your first time in church for a while, or you're watching online, and let me give you an overview. The first part, verses 1 to 3, Paul is going to s- insist on just how vital love is. And without it, nothing else matters. In verses 4 to 7, Paul's going to describe, he's going to describe love itself in memorable and challenging language. And then in the final part, verses 8 to 13, Paul is going to explain that love is one of the things which will last into God's new world, his new creation. And so it matters far, far more than the things which will pass away, which include most of the things the Corinthians were most bothered about. Paul's like, yeah, those things are important, but they're not as important as love. So so calm down about those things and let's aim at love, and then we'll get those things too. But as I was praying, I like to pray as I prepare. I was sitting with Jesus. And so the outline I'm going to present to you, because maybe I think it's the third time I've preached on this at Crossview. i want to read through the text. We're going to to reflect on it a little bit. But then I want to talk, I want to revisit a definition of love. The opportunity of love. I want want you, even as I read this, I don't want you to, to be overwhelmed. I want you to hear this as an opportunity and an invitation. And I'll explain what I mean. And then quickly at the end, we'll talk about the experience of love. Because we only know what love is because Jesus has shown us what love is. (laughs) He's lived it. He's loved us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you want to flip in your Bibles or follow along. Actually, I'll read the last verse of verse 12. Paul has been talking about these gifts. And Paul ends chapter 12 this way, I will show you a still more excellent way just in case you're wondering. Chapter 13, verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, which we'll talk more about. Paul's going to talk more about tongues and prophecy in chapter 14. So I'm just going to hold off on that until next week. But, but if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, it's pretty incredible experience, but I have not love. I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, again, we'll talk a little bit more. There's some con- conversation around What exactly did that mean in the first century church? But if I have prophetic powers, you'll get the gist of it here. And I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Have you ever been a part of a, I have at times, been a part of a Christian community that defines maturity based on how much you know? It happens. The more you know, the the more you've answered every single theological question with great certitude, the more mature you are. Paul would look at you with a, Kind of a what? No. I don't care if you understand all mysteries. If you lack love, you're nothing. Or how about faith? Sometimes these chapters even get wrapped up with what we would call more charismatic churches. People who celebrate just strong faith, believing that God can do it. And, and, and we do. We, we actually pursue knowledge here. I hope we operate with great faith that God can do amazing things. But Paul says, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. I'm zero. (laughs) Or verse three, I actually spent a lot of time thinking about this one too. You think about, I just think about how corrective this could be in our world today with, there's a lot of, and I think it's good. I think God is a God of justice and there's a lot of talk about justice (laughs) But you start to separate justice from the true love of God, and you're going to find yourself in some dangerous places. Paul says, I could give away all I have to the poor. That's a good thing. Read the Bible. God cares about the poor. But Paul says, I can do these. I can give, away, I can, I can give up my body to be burned. I can do all these things, But if we, but if I have not love, I gain nothing. I gain nothing. Just throw a question out there. When you're interacting with people, would you rather rather win an argument or be loving? It's it's challenging stuff. It's really important. Verse 4, Paul's going to kind of say what love is and what love isn't, right? Love is patience, And I say this frequently, and I know some of you hate it when I say this, but love is rarely efficient. Love is often inefficient. I know know we don't like it, but because God is love and God is patient, he's long-suffering, he's slow to anger. God is patient, and so love is patient. And love is kind, and love does not envy. What did I tell you a few weeks ago? If you're feeling joy and peace, the best way to get rid of it is to start comparing yourself with the people around you. Because love doesn't, love doesn't do that. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Some translations say it is not self-seeking. Love is not the lust for what you want. Sometimes I like to say life is a gift. It's not a game. The aim of life is not to win to acquire more than others is to love, is to learn to love. The purpose of life is love. Love is not irritable. My translation says resentful, but there's a little, a little number in a footnote. I'm not a text scholar, but this is one of the places I've done a little bit of work, and other translations will, I mean, your translations are great. You can rest in them, but But I really do prefer love does not count up wrongdoing. Love does not keep a record of wrong. I think that's actually a better use of the Greek there. Keep reading verse 6. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. I've found, even in the, I don't know if you've seen this, but in the last 18 months, I have often seen Christians rejoicing at wrongdoing. And this is what I mean by that. Here's what I want to say to you. The Jesus way is the only way. And when we misunderstand love, this is some of the ripple effect, we can find ourselves rejoicing at wrongdoing. I think this happens in the church when we forget that the ends never justify the means. In the kingdom of God, the means are the end. If you sacrifice love for some good intended end, you've already sacrificed too much. And sometimes the outcome is good, but the way we got there is, all, and we celebrate wrongdoing. We don't, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It just doesn't. Verse 7 is a very hopeful verse. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love Hopes all things. Love endures all things. And then he says love never ends. Love never fails. As for prophecies, they're great. He's going to celebrate prophecies in chapter 14, but they pass away. Tongues, amazing, but they will cease. Knowledge, go after it, but it will pass away. Just a few words about love never failing. Love Never ending. Love never fails because love is as patient as God and God is time on our side. Love never ends. Think about it this way. Everything has a shelf life but love. I've heard someone else say it this way. When everything else in the universe is worn out, God's love will still be there because it never runs out. (laughs) Stars will burn out, but God's love won't. God's love will still be there. Cancer cells and atomic bombs will not have the final word. Love alone will have the final word. I hope that's good news. (laughs) It's good news. Verse 9, For we know in part part of the problem right now, and this is, again, part of why we misunderstand, because we live in a broken world. The world is not the way it's supposed to be, so we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, and I think you can just think of the perfect as Jesus. We're going to talk a lot about Jesus. We always do. When Jesus comes, then we'll know. The partial will pass away. He will will consummate his kingdom. Verse 11: When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But then I grew up, Paul says. I became a man and I gave up childish ways. Paul is saying, Give me the grown-up stuff. The real spiritual, emotional, and personal maturity. Give me the humanness that will last forever. Enhanced and unimpeded through to God's new world. Give me love. Love described here. The love which is the highest form of knowing and being known that humans can attain in this world or the world to come. Verse 12, for now we see in, in a mirror dimly, but then when the perfect comes, face to face. Now, I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now, whenever I read the, the face-to-face stuff, I just, I think it's so fun in, in the Bible. And we, I, I remember preaching on this back when we did a More Than Moses series. I loved working on that sermon. But you read, and John has fun with this, and Paul has fun with this, you read through the Old Testament, and there is this really strong sentiment that if you ever stare face to face into the eyes of God, you will die. And there's all these, we call them theophanies, these, ex- these kind of visions of God, but you, you only see the bottom of his sandals. <laughs> you only see, the, you see the thing he's standing, and Moses in the cleft of the rock only sees the tail end of his robe. But then Jesus comes. You understand. I've read this verse before. I've just sit with this verse more and more. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. This is from Paul to the same church a little bit later. For God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You and I look into the face of Jesus and we find out who God is. In salvation history, it used to be that if you looked into the face of God, you would die. But now, because Jesus has come in the name of love, now the only way to live is to look into the face of God, (laughs) to stare into the eyes of Jesus. When the perfect comes, we will be fully known. And then, of course, in case you missed it, verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide. Faith, awesome. Hope, don't try to live without it. And love. And what does Paul say in his own words? The greatest of these is love. Love is really important. Now, I've said this before because I have a chemical engineering degree. I like to, I I miss math. I do. I'm weird. I, I loved calculus and I never get to do it anymore. I haven't done a differential equation in a long time. But I like to look at this chapter as the mathematics of love. To break it down real simple for you, what Paul is saying is anything minus love is nothing. Let's put a a numerical value to that. In case you missed it, anything minus love is zero. Zero. (laughs) That's what Paul says. And I think if you read, love bears all things, believes all things, endures all things, hopes all things, never ends, never fails. Anything plus love is still love. Love. So that's why we aim at love. That's what Jesus has taught us. So if we don't want to misunderstand love, how do we get this definition right? Let's spend a few minutes on the definition of love. Because just like the Corinthians, we need help in learning what love looks like. And Paul is trying to help them. This is what love is and and really what he's doing. (laughs) I really believe this. Paul is just thinking of Jesus. See, what words can I use to describe Jesus? Yeah, he's patient, he's kind, he hopes all things. He's just describing Jesus. (laughs) Let's see what Jesus doesn't envy, he doesn't boast, he's not arrogant, he's never self. Okay, I'll just describe Jesus, that will describe love to you. Paul is saying. We want to look like Jesus. Jesus looks like love. This is what love looks like, and this is what love doesn't look like. And so he's reminiscing on the life and teachings of Jesus, and he keeps going to what's going on in the church in Corinth. He's like, love doesn't look like your communion right now, where some of you have more and some of you have less, and it seems like you're having your own private communion. Love, as we'll talk about next week, love doesn't look like you gathering together and then talking over each other. (laughs) Love doesn't look like that. That's not what love does. That's not what love looks like. So he gives us a definition, but, but it's also not, I mean, it's a good definition, one of the best I've ever read. But it's not a complete definition. And I really do, and this is, I, I think, one of the big problems in our culture is we've, we've come up with simplistic and formulaic definitions of love that always limit love that is ever expansive. Paul gives us a good definition, but what he's really doing is pointing us to the complete definition. Jesus is the love of God in a human life. If you want to know what love is, you look at Jesus Christ, read the Gospels, get to know Jesus. Everything Jesus does, he does out of love. I guarantee you, he will challenge your definition of love because yours and mine is too small. But Jesus' is perfect. Jesus looks like love all the time. If you think you know what love is, and then you read something that Jesus did or said, and you disagree with Jesus, it's a good moment to question and challenge and humble yourself. Jesus is the perfect revelation of who God is and who we are called to be, all in one human life. And Paul does not mind reflecting on the life of Jesus and challenging our assumptions because he's just locked into Jesus. You haven't begun to know what God is like until you've seen him in Jesus. As we're going to get to in chapter 15, everything has changed now because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead so it changes the way we see things. And we don't want a simplistic definition because God's love is endless. It's infinite. It's not finite. It has no borders. There's no end to it. It never runs out. It's as infinite as God is because God is love. And I've said this before, but i like to come back to this. Because, again, I have a little bit of a science background. God's love is expansive. There is a largeness to love. We never stop learning about his love. That's really what discipleship is, is maturing in love. Sin is mean. Sin is petty. Sin is small. Sin is always making you smaller and smaller. But love is growing and expanding you. And I believe at the beginning of creation, God spoke, let there be, out of love. And he began to express his love in physical form. I heard one pastor say, "I'll never forget it." Love, uh, water is God's love in liquid form. I love that. Don't forget that. Water is God's love in liquid form. And creation came from the rapid expansion of God's love, and we live. If 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 scientists are correct, we live in an ever expanding universe, which blows my mind. How are there? No, how does it just keep getting? I don't. I don't know. But that's what science tells us. The universe is not shrinking or static. It's expanding at nearly the speed of light. That means God's love is just expanding. It's expanding. So, just a question at this point in the sermon What about the borders of your love? It's a good check in from time to time. Are your borders of love shrinking? Because let me say this. If, If you've been coming to church, but you love less people than when you first... I mean, you're not following... You're just not following Jesus, (laughs) because that's not how Jesus works. Are your borders shrinking, or are they static? Are you pretty comfortable with your crew, and you know who's in and who's out, and who you like, and who irritates you? Or will you let Paul have a say in your life this morning... Are your borders expanding? Because love never ends. (laughs) It just keeps going. Who are you embracing in love? I didn't say agreeing with. You don't have to agree with somebody to love them. (laughs) Who are you embracing in love? Who are you looking at differently now because of the love of Jesus in your life that maybe before Jesus you wouldn't have said this, but now you can look at them and say... Come sit with me at the table. I will make room for you in my life. I wouldn't have before Jesus. But because of Jesus, my borders of love are expanding. I have more love to give. Come in. Dine with me at table. It's a little bit on love. Again, it's not a, I don't want to give you a formula. Jesus is the def, just Jesus. The, the point is Jesus is the definition. Read the Gospels. Get to know what love really is. But then, because, you know, even as I say this, it's challenging, right? Hopefully it challenges me. I hope it's challenging you. I don't love like that. But I don't want you to hear 1 Corinthians 13 as some kind of condemnation of what you're not. What I want you to hear it as, because the good news is always good news, hear it as an opportunity for who you can become. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 is. not go home and beat yourself up because you weren't kind today. Or because you envied as you walked. No. It is an invitation into the abundant life of Jesus Christ. This life is within reach of each one of us because it is the life of Jesus. It is the life inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it is the life which is our inheritance as the body of Christ. And Paul insists this is the life which will bring the right sort of order to the chaos of the faction fighting and the spiritual jealousy that was happening in Corinth and maybe is happening in our world today. Love is the operating system that makes everything work. Jesus, as he brings the kingdom of God, is reorganizing the world around love. This is how we can live. This is who we can be. And so I always try to preach to myself before I ever think about preaching to the church family. And I was trying to sit with Jesus this week in my prayer time and ask him, where can I grow? I want to grow. Where where am I not, and not in a woe is me, but where where am I not living? I want to live the abundant life. Where am I just missing out on what you're doing in the world, Jesus? Where's this invitation? Where can you heal me and set me free? And so... Actually, there's a few things I could have pointed out, but really what, what's, what really caught my attention this week, and there's, and there's personal reasons why, is that love keeps no record of wrong. I just sat with that, those few words, for, for a little bit. Love keeps no record of wrong. And, and again, I was struck as I sat with that, how much Paul, I really think, is just, he's just sharing Jesus stuff. This is a good hermeneutical practice. Never read Paul through any lens other than the lens of Jesus. People misread Paul often, and it's because they read him through the wrong lens. I really believe all Paul is doing is reflecting on the Jesus he knows, and he's just teaching the church be like Jesus. Love keeps no record of wrongs. What did that? I, I immediately went to when Peter says, How many times do we have to forgive people, Jesus? Seven times? I got a good checklist. I'll keep a record of seven. And after seven, I can whale them back, right? That's when I can strike back. And what does Jesus say? Not seven, Peter. Seventy-seven. We don't We don't keep track. Love, I mean, Paul's just applying what Jesus taught. And I've been noticing this in my life. I've been, I'm realizing, I mean, some of it's my personality, but, but there's a lot of little things that'll happen, and I it's annoying, but, but I think in my mind that I let it go. I don't know if you're married, but this happens a lot in families. This happens in our marriage. This happens in other relational dynamics that I have. But something happens. I don't say anything. I just notice it, but I, I'm keeping a record. It hurt a little bit. It bugged me, but I don't do anything about it. Until I get to number eight, right? <laughs> and then I blow up. Or all these little things happen. Little, 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 little. And then one big thing happens. And the big thing is so painful and it hurts so much that I just bring back the 10 things I never talked about in the past. And I just let, you know, you understand what I'm saying? That's a hard, that's not a fun way to live. That doesn't really create strong relationships. It's not abundant life. I actually believe that if I can learn from Jesus how to live like Jesus, to be healed, to forgive in the ways that he's forgiven me, then I won't keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't mean you forget. I don't think you just forget. You still remember what happened, but it doesn't create this deep sense of emptiness or pain because Jesus has put you back together and you're whole, and it doesn't hurt you anymore. I mean, so much of what happened in the last year is that people have been pivoting out of pain, and so they've just been infecting, maybe that's a good, a good word to use this last but they've been in- infecting one another with their pain you understand Jesus can heal you from every single pain you have? And then you don't keep a record. And then you are patient and kind because you're not pivoting out of your pain because you've let Jesus heal you. And then you're so excited, such good news. Well, let me, let me be a part of it. Let me, let me forgive someone. Jesus, let me forgive someone else too. Let me love like you love me. This is awesome. It's an invitation It's an opportunity. We all carry pain, insecurity, anxiety, and anger. We carry it around in us, and it's dangerous, and it's not good for our soul. We carry around a lot of fear right now. So again, let's just think about Jesus. Jesus never hated anybody because he never feared anyone. It's not that he was just so brave. It's not that he was just so good. He never feared anybody because he knew the love of the Father. Just read the Gospel of John and see if that doesn't echo in your ears. Jesus could trust himself to the love of the Father. And what does perfect love do? It casts out all fear. Do you like carrying around fear? I don't like carrying around fear. There's an abundant life for you in the love of Jesus. And again, I think about all the things that happened in the last 18 months. What happens? Even maybe in some of your tense situations. Let me ask you, what happens when you take fear off the table? Do you really have enemies anymore? Because in the world we live in, most of the time, the the people we call enemies are the people we are afraid of. There's a number of reasons why. We're afraid they'll hurt us or harm us or take what is ours. And maybe that's their intention. But there's something about the love of God. It's risky. You may get hurt. I mean, Paul's pretty clear. Paul knows everything about getting hurt. I'm not saying you won't get hurt. I'm just saying if you have the love of God, it'll drive out all fear. (laughs) It really does. Love is the greatest, faith and and hope and love. The greatest of these is love. If you can believe that God is love and that God loves you, that changes everything. And if you can mature in Christ and learn to love as Jesus has loved you, it'll change the way you see things. So just a few words, because I don't think, I mean, I'll recommend books to you. I love to read. I recommend books to you. Uh, The first book I would recommend is the Bible. Okay, read the Gospels. You can read about love, but at the end of the day, you're going to need to experience the love of God. I do hope Crossview is the kind of place, we're not perfect, but I hope Crossview is the kind of place where you actually experience the love of God in community. The main reason we know what love is, is because God first loved us. You could say that love is a power that picks you up and changes you. But as I've tried to say this morning, I think Paul's primary point is that love is a person. We learn to love by being loved. And the more we're loved, the more we can reflect love. The more we're embraced by love and surrounded by love, the more we can go and do it. And never forget that Jesus is the one we are to imitate. If you want to know what love looks like, you look at Jesus. Stay fixed on Jesus. Sit with Jesus. Gaze upon Jesus. And in the ways of the Spirit, and some of this is a mystery. I'm not going to formulaically explain. You sit with Jesus day in and day out. And somehow over time, King Jesus begins to shape you and form you. You wrestle with some of the parables. You memorize the Beatitudes. You say them over and over again because they're words of life. And Jesus will shape you and form you. You will learn to love because you see love happening in you. You will learn to love because you will know that you are an object of God's great love. You'll be able to fend off the enemy. The worst lie the devil tells you is that you are not loved by God and your neighbor isn't worth loving. But that's a lie. You are loved by God and your neighbor is worth loving because God is love. We love because he first loved us. It'll change you if you embrace this. It'll take off all the pressure and anxiety and fear and anger and uncertainty that you're carrying, and you'll be free to love. Well, I started with a slightly silly story about music. I'll go from Tears for Fears to Mozart. How's that? I'm covering all my bases this morning. Am I doing good, Brian? I'm doing good. So this is from one of the commentaries I read. I like this story. When Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart was a young man living with his father, Leopold, himself a fine musician in Vienna, he is said to have played a trick on him from time to time. Young Wolfgang would come home from spending a riotous evening with his friends, and his father would already be asleep in bed. Wolfgang, I love this, (laughs) would go to the piano and would play loudly a rising scale of notes, getting slower and louder as they reached the resolution at the top of the scale And then he would stop, one note short, and go to bed himself. Old Leopold, so the story goes, would toss and turn in bed as the unfinished scale came into his dreams and imagination. The frustration of having one's musical senses aroused in that way without resolution would become too hard to bear. Eventually he would have to drag himself from his slumber, stagger downstairs, and play the last note. This is what N.T. Wright says. What we are concerned with here is the way in which Paul describes the call of love and of life itself as an unfinished scale going ahead of us into God's future. The music of love, which will one day be completed, is therefore not just our duty, it's our destiny. I hope you hear 1 Corinthians 13 as just that. I hope you can't sleep at night because because the music isn't complete in your life until you learn to play with Jesus' love. (laughs) Amen? Let's pray. Father, to continue this language, we want to fulfill our destiny We want to become like you. We want to learn your way of love. Right now, as we are gathered, we declare that we believe in your endless love. We affirm everything that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. We believe the report that we have heard. We believe, God, that you are love and that you love us. We believe it. And right now we take a moment to meditate on it, to sit with it. We hear this as good news this morning. There is a way of life, there is a way of love that is deeper, endless, more profound, more beautiful, bears all things, hopes all things. If we learn this love, we will never have Despair. We still have to learn it. We're all growing. We will never fear. We will never be envious. We want this abundant life. We know that if we are truly loved by you, everything will be okay. We will be okay. We will be changed. If we are truly loved by you, we can let your love flow through us to others. We'll just keep passing it on. And there's no, there's no kingdom of scarcity. This is a kingdom of abundance. It'll never run out. So we set our mind on this meditation. I'm going to personalize it in the first person for us here. I am loved by God. God will never stop loving me. I am loved infinitely. So no matter what happens, all will be well. Amen.